Well, it's so good. I'm really, really glad uh, you're here. Again, if we've not met before, my name is John. I get to serve as a pastor at Center, and uh, so thankful that you made kind of our, our experience a part of your Easter weekend. And uh, I'm not, some of you may not know me very well, so I just got to get something out of the way. I'm not like a super artsy person. Like when I see art, I'm like, that's art. I'm like kind of confused by it. But I do remember the first time I saw Rembrandt's Prodigal Son, and it stopped me in my tracks. Some of you have seen this. 1669, uh, Dutch famous painter, Renaissance artist, one of the most famous painters of all time. One of his final works was called The Prodigal Son. And in this, he depicts what Luke 15, which is a parable of Jesus, talks about this son who'd run away, who comes back into the father's house, and, and how the father welcomes him back home. Even though I'm not an artsy person, though, the longer you observe and reflect on this painting, kind of the deeper it gets, like the more involved you become in this work of art. Uh, take, for instance, the two hands. You see the father's sons kind of over the two hands of the shoulders of, of, the, of the prodigal. And in these two hands are actually two different representations. One, if you notice, which may be kind of hard to tell from here, but uh, one is more of a motherly figure hand. It's gentle, it's soft, it's, it's meek, it has less calluses. And if you look on the other side, uh, the other hand of the father, which is around the shoulder, is stronger, it's more rough, it's calluses, more beat up. And these, Rembrandt, were depicting as kind of the compassionate, kind-hearted spirit of God with the strong, just, uh, hopeful hand of God, like the sovereign hand of God. So he puts these in there. Another thing you may notice is the prodigal son's shoes. They are worn out. They're almost non-existent. They're barely hanging on. Rembrandt does this to point out the fact that the son had run really hard and really far, really left the father's house, taken his inheritance from himself, and, and spoiled it on, on sin and this lifestyle that was counter to how he grew up. It's his opposite way of living. And you could see the father embraces him. This isn't a handshake you're witnessing. This isn't like a, you got to sign the contract to get back into my house kind of thing. No, the father literally takes this prodigal into the lap uh, and his son just falls on his knees begging to be welcomed back home. There's a lot more we could say about the painting, but those are some of the things I think is, are really interesting. Rembrandt's point in all of this work, the hands and the shoes and the onlookers and even the colors and the shadowing work that, that Rembrandt does is pointing out the fact that at the end of the day, this story is about a homecoming. It's about the prodigal actually being welcomed back home. And, and I don't know where you're at this Easter, but here's what I know. Human nature, all of us long for a homecoming. We long to feel secure. We long to feel stable. Uh, maybe you're in a house hunting process. You're like, I just want to be home somewhere, right? Like, I just want to feel at home. Spiritually, this is what almost every single person you will ever meet is on a quest for, is on a quest to find where do I belong? Who will love me? Who will accept me no matter what I've done, who I am, what I'm struggling with? And Rembrandt paints this picture of Luke 15 as the ultimate example of a homecoming. But if you skip to the end of scripture, Literally, if you've been a part of Center the last couple of months, like we've been journeying through from Genesis to Revelation, the story of how God not is trying to get humans to get better at their pursuit of him, but how God pursues us and chases after us, who, who serves as an example in Rembrandt's painting of the father welcoming us, prodigal children, back home, back into our identity. 
If you skip to the very end of the scripture story, if you have a Bible or a device, I encourage you to go there to Revelation 22. Literally the last couple pages of, of our Bibles uh, of scripture in, the, in verse 12, it starts with this welcome invitation home. Actually, John is writing on behalf of Jesus's words here in verse 12. This is what John says. He's speaking as Jesus saying, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He skips down in verse 17. He says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Spirit being Holy Spirit of God, like the presence of God actually at work alive says, come, but also the bride, which is a reference throughout Revelation for John to the church, to the gathered body of believers who's kind of endured to the end through suffering. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears it, like the reader of this revelation, let the one who hears it say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. This is the literal last couple sentences of our scripture, of the entire biblical story, of the human story, of the spiritual journey from Genesis to Revelation. This is how it ends. What I think is really interesting is that you dig into to John's language here, the word come is not like a directive. Like if you have kids, it's like, hey, get your butt over here. Like, come here. Like it's a directive, it's a command. I have an 11 month old, that doesn't work on her. I don't know if you ever tried that with a baby. They're like, what? I'm not going over there. But if they're older, hopefully they listen. But this is not a directive command John gives. What John gives here is actually uh, more to do like with a, a housewarming or a welcoming home. It, has connotations in the Greek of stepping through a front door, of being welcomed into someone's home, of like stepping across the mat into the threshold and being welcomed in. This is homecoming language John uses at the very end of, of Revelation. I remember when Lindsay and I were looking through uh, our house that we live in now, and we had gone through multiple houses, just like any of you have recently done this, you know, it's like, multiple houses. I've got Zillow saved on all of my browsers. I'm constantly refreshing trying to see what else is out there, what else is out there. We had looked at a couple houses, had some offers. All of it just didn't work out. And so finally, I'm on Zillow one day, and I find this house, the one we live in now. I said, Lindsay, I think this could be home. Like, we should go walk through it. So we walked through it, and man, it was so freaking ugly. I can't even describe it to you how ugly it was inside. Like, cosmetically, it was everything I would do but the opposite. Like, it was just old, outdated, but uh, if you're a house person, you know, but the bones were good, right? The structure was great. There was some fine craftsmanship. So we knew like it could potentially work. So we're walking through the different rooms, kind of figuring out like we could do this here. We could knock down this. We could change this. And finally we get back in our car to leave and our realtor's like, you guys talk about it. Let me know. And I just said, man, I think that house could feel like home for us. I think it could be a home. It's ugly, but it has potential, right? Like there's, there's a possibility here for it to be like home. If you've ever done a walkthrough of a house and you had that moment, you kind of look over, maybe at your spouse or a friend, you're like, I think this is a place. That's how we felt. But it's Easter. You're here. You're watching online. You, you've made a point to be here because here's what I believe. Either consciously or subconsciously, you desire the same thing I want. All of us really at the end of the day, want to be a part of the homecoming Jesus offers. Whether you believe in, in Jesus and have all those questions figured out or not, there is a desire. Literally, Ecclesiastes 3 says that 
that God has printed eternity on our heart. Like we desire for something more than what we're experiencing. We desire more than a temporary house. We want to feel home. And as you look at the scripture story, this is how it goes. Like I remember the season for me, it was about 12 years ago, where I'm sitting on my bed in this room thousands of miles away in, in New Zealand for my family from what's normal, what's comfortable. And there be, it became this point where I realized that my heart was full of pride, that my relationships with family and friends were not where they should be, where there were sin patterns and addictions in my life that I couldn't seem to break hold of, break free from. And I'm sitting there and I kind of come to the end of my point. I begin reading the scriptures like I'd never read them before. And stories like the resurrection seemed to lift off the page. They became real to me. And there had to be a point, there was for me 12 years ago, in which I just said, I'm not going to try to achieve homecoming on my own. I'm not gonna achieve the sense of security and stability and destiny by myself. Jesus, I need you to take over. That's what really baptism is, this symbol we're gonna celebrate in a few minutes here. It's a celebration of that surrendering moment. But I had to do that. And that's a problem every single one of us face anytime we walk into a moment like this spiritually. We all would prefer to secure homecomings and a sense of stability and security by ourselves. Maybe you try to do that through sales. Maybe you try to do that through another marriage. Maybe you try to do that through how your kids perform. But at the end of the day, all of us fall short. We all recognize the fact that we are incompetent at finishing our own stories. And this is where Easter Sunday enters into the mix because Jesus' resurrection, it's the only thing that can give us hope now for homecoming in the future. It's actually what resurrection does. It gives us hope today for homecoming in the future. If you're not familiar with Revelation, this is what's so ironic about this letter we just read. If you haven't read the whole letter, it gets even weirder than what I just read to you in chapter 22. But as the story ends, remember who's writing the story it's the Apostle John. John, scholars estimate, is in his kind of mid to early 80s at this point. He's on this obscure island in the Mediterranean Ocean, Mediterranean Sea called Patmos, somewhere you've probably never been and maybe never will go. But Patmos was reserved for people the Roman government had tried to kill and it didn't work. I don't know how that happens, but, but it didn't work. And so they say, we're just going to exile you out to Patmos. We're going to let you rot in a prison cell on this island. No one's going to hear from you. No one's going to see from you. See, see you, you're not going to be able to spread this gospel message anymore. And it's in this island prison cell that John has a revelation. It's what we just read. Revelation 1 through 22 is, is kind of capturing Jesus' words in this divine vision. But what gives a guy like John hope? in this mid, like exiled island of Patmos. What, what gave him hope was the same thing that gave all the other disciples hope. It was the fact that Jesus had been risen from the dead. Like one scholar puts it this way, that the, in the resurrection, the end has begun, the future is now present. And this is why we still celebrate Easter. See, if you read early church history, right, the disciples, John included, died brutal deaths because they believed that Jesus had defeated death on the cross and defeated it through his resurrection. And either that's true, either Jesus rose from the dead, that his body was literally raised up by the Father, just like we sang about, or John and all of his disciples died brutal deaths for a lie, for something they were totally delusional about, 
for something they had no idea that they had hallucinated or made up in their imaginations and had given their lives for. It's really those two options. And I, I would posit to you that really, at the end of the day, it's not worth dying a brutal death for a lie. That there's a lot of things I would say no to or yes to before I would take, have someone take my life in such a brutal way like they did, and yet the resurrection for them was worth everything. It was worth the ultimate cost, their own lives. I remember for me that season where I had to surrender to that. And it's funny because uh, we're sitting here, it's Easter 2022, and ironically, some of you have been a part of the journey, but uh, for, for Lindsay and I, it's about a, a five years ago that we started serving here at Center. And in the last five years, just like your last five years, I mean, leading and being a part of this church has had some really high highs. Like I think about baptism services. I, every, every time we pull the tank out, I look at names and dates. And I'm like, I remember that. Like, I remember that moment. I remember that conversation. I was talking to someone after first service, right, who, who looked up and like, I forgot that's when it was. Like, that was such a pivotal time in my life. And, and God moved through that. I remember moving into the space about a year ago. It's like, man, this was really fun. Like there was just this buzz and excitement, just like there always is. Like I walk in, I'm like, this doesn't smell like a high school gym anymore. It's incredible. Just that alone. It's like Febreze just wafts into my nose every time I open the door. It's amazing. There's been high highs of being able to have conversations with people just like you who've invited neighbors and friends who have met Jesus here and surrendered their lives. It's been incredible moments in worship where you get just goosebumps because you just know like the Holy Spirit is working and pressing on things and sharing truth and convicting things. And there's been people who've gotten free from shame and addictions and brokenness and, and find that, found out in this room who they really were as children of God. But there's also been some really low lows. There's been moments along the last five years where I was like, maybe I'd be a better UPS driver than I would be a pastor. <laughs> like, remember 2020, I'm like sitting, preaching to a camera, and I see these UPS trucks go back and forth. I'm like, they have job security. I don't care what happens in this pandemic. Those guys are getting paid. And I was like, I'm, in not a, in, I'm not a secure job right now. I was like, maybe, Lindsay, I should start to do something else. I remember in the last couple of years, right, like, Lindsay and I have had some of our hardest, darkest moments in our marriage. There's been some tough, tough seasons for us. And there's moments where people just like you have supported and stepped in and prayed, and, and it's been incredible. I remember about a year ago, getting a phone call, uh, phone calls you just never want to get. It was my friend Angie, some of you know her, who called about a, the night before about to move into this new space that her husband Pete, who's been a part of our church for a really long time, had passed away. And that was a low low. Uh, that was probably lower of a low than I thought it was in the moment. And I carried that and grieved that just like so many of you have, so many people that knew him have. Uh, there's a lot of interesting things about Pete. Like, that's a really nice kosher picture. Look at the one next to it on Facebook. All right, so this is them dressed up uh, as Willy Wonka. And I don't know how, Angie's just a humble person, apparently. I would never let someone dress me like that. She gave me permission to share it, by the way, but it's an incredible. She literally looks like she's from the movie. But anyway, that just gives you a little picture, if you don't know them at all, of what they were like. But, but Pete was an incredible person. I got to know him, and Pete loved Harley-Davidson motorcycles. I can't tell you how many injuries the guy's gotten on a motorcycle, and he still drove the motorcycle to church faithfully. I don't, I, it was just mind-blowing. Pete was really good friends with a guy named Jack Daniels. I saw that on occasion. 
Uh, Pete loved his dragon tattoos he had gotten in the last year. I remember walking into church on a Saturday morning and he rips his tank top off. I was like, whoa, 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 easy, pal. This is not what you think it is. Like, I'm your pastor. He walks, he's like, dude, check out this dragon tattoo. Like, check out what I just got finished. I was like, I'm good, I'm good. Like, I can see it from here, I'm, fi I'm fine. There's a lot of things Pete loved. Pete uh, loved awkwardly tight tank tops. Uh, Pete loved trips to the beach. Pete loved Harley rides with friends. Like, there's a lot of things you could say that, that Pete loved, and some of you know these things even better than me. But I also had a lot of lunches and dinners with Pete and with his family. And I could tell you that one of the most important things about him was not his tattoos or what he liked to drink or what he liked to ride. It was the fact that he trusted Jesus as his Savior and as his Lord. And he would admit, first, first one up here, he's, he did not have that perfected, and just like I don't. But that was important to him. It was maybe the most important thing. I remember sitting across the table from him at Manelli's and just asking, like, who are you praying for? Who... who who do you want to see meet Jesus in your life? And he would share names of friends, names of siblings, names of his own children, who he really wanted to encounter Jesus. I remember those conversations. And every time we baptize somebody, I sit in this front row typically, and I stare at names on this side of the tank, Pete Title, Angie Title, Lexi Title, Ashley Title. And one of the highest highs for me is being able to be a part of those three out of four of those baptisms over the last couple years. And I look back, and, and if, if baptism is anything, if Pete's legacy is anything to me in my life, it's a reminder that, that baptism and surrender to Jesus is trading a crumbling house for a secure home in Jesus. That's what it is. That, that's what the Christian life is. It's trading in my insecurities. It's trading in my shame. It's trading in my my feeble attempts at building out my own homecoming, my own security, and saying, Jesus, you get to lead. You get to be the one. And I think about this. I mean, it's, it's Easter Sunday, and I stumbled across a story uh, from a couple years ago. Uh, Donald Barnhouse, a name probably none of you know, was kind of a famous professor and Bible teacher. And Barnhouse, at one point, found himself mourning the death of his wife. And he had three young girls at the time. And Barnhouse, who had written hundreds of words, preached hundreds of sermons, had taught upcoming students in theology and pastoral ministry, like the guy had great words, found himself in this funeral parking lot with no words to share to his young daughters who are grieving and, and mourning the loss of their mom. And as he's sitting there, as their car is about to pull out back to go back home, he's racking his brain like, what can I possibly say? And right before they're about to pull out, a massive moving truck goes right across the front of their car, just missing them by inches. And in that moment, an entire, sh the shadow of this truck just covers their whole car in darkness. And Barnhouse, it kind of clicks for him. It clicks he turns around to his young daughter sitting in the back seat and said, you know what, you may be, we are grieving, we're mourning the loss of mom, no question. But would you rather be hit by the actual moving truck or would you rather be hit by the shadow of the moving truck? And his daughters are smart, just like you are, right? They, they turn back and they're like, dad, of course, the, the shadow of the truck, I don't wanna be hit by a truck. 
the shadow of the truck, because the shadow can't hurt me. The shadow's not going to do anything to my body. The shadow's not going to scar me. The shadow's not going to cause more grief in life. And, and Donald turned around back to them as they respond and said, you know what? What happened to your mother, she was not hit by the truck. She was hit by the shadow of the truck. And death no longer has a grip on her life. She may not be here, but she is at a homecoming with Jesus. She's home, secure, stable in him. And I think about the cross and I think about resurrection. Like that's what it is. It's Jesus taking on the full force, the weight of the truck, so that you and I, as we face cancers, as we face infertility, as we face another affair, as we face uh, questions about our career, questions about what happens after I graduate, questions about how do I get out of this financial mess, that we only pass through the shadow of the truck because of what Jesus has done, because of what the resurrection secures. Jesus defeated death so that you and I never had to take on the full force of it for ourselves. And to me, one of the most important messages we can celebrate at Easter is that is that hope, it's that future that we have secure in him. And so I'm gonna ask you right now, I'm gonna invite the band to come up. We're actually gonna take about a minute or so. Every one of you in the seats you sat in or near you has a a simple card and a pen that says, I'm ready. And I don't know where you're at. You may step into this room and be like, I've got questions. John, I'm not sure I buy any of what you just said. And that's fine. Like, I'm so glad that you're here, you're welcome. Like, you can keep hanging out, keep asking questions. But you may know today, like, what that next step is going to be. Like, for you, you may fill out that card in the next minute or so and say, I'm ready to start a relationship with Jesus. Like, I'm ready to surrender to him. I'm ready to stop trying to to secure my homecoming and, and figure out my own story. I'm just gonna surrender it to him. And you just check that off. You put your name and email, we'll give you kind of steps and encouragement on the way. That's all we'll do. Maybe for you, you find yourself in that, that painting earlier as the older brother looking in. Like, like you've been around religion. You've been a good Christian. You, you've per- behaved correctly. But there is a deta- de- excuse me, detachment in your heart from that. And, and it's a time for you to say, you know what? I recommit to that. I recommit Jesus to your way, to your path to your salvation, to your resurrection life in me. Maybe you check that off. Maybe today, honestly, it may be baptism. And you, you could check off, I wanna get baptized and we practice spontaneous baptism here. Maybe you just step up and you just do it. You don't have the shirt, you don't have your Crocs with you. That's okay, like we'll make it happen. Maybe that's your step. Or maybe it is, I've got questions. I wanna walk with somebody. I've, I've got doubts and, and things I need to care. I need someone to carry with me, to walk with me. That would be an honor and privilege of mine and our staff and our leaders as well. Don't feel like you have to have everything figured out before you jump in. Maybe that's you, I've got questions and you just fill out the card there. So I'm gonna give you some time and then we're gonna sing and we're gonna celebrate some people who are taking the step of baptism today and, uh, and honor God in that process. So let me pray for you and then we'll take some time just to, to reflect and, and take a step if you need to. Father, thank you just for your kindness. Thank you that you really do, in our darkest moments, have a way of welcoming us home. And that your invitation to us is just to come back, to come home. And Jesus, I pray right now for the people who just know what their next step is. Maybe that's beginning a relationship with you. 
Maybe it's re recommitting and saying, God, I surrender to that. Maybe for them, it, it is baptism. Maybe it's just beginning to ask the questions, to wrestle with the doubts, to wrestle with the, the unresolved tensions in their journey. I pray that you just give us the clarity and the boldness needed to actually move forward in our faith, to not just make Easter something we did, but to become a part of who we are. So we thank you, Jesus, for how you're at work and how your spirit wants to speak. And we celebrate it in Jesus' name, amen. So just take 60 seconds. You've got a pen, you've got a card. Maybe you have, it's none of those things. It's something not even listed. You can still put your name and email, drop it on your seat or bring it out to the team at the new here table and we can respond that way. But do not miss the moment. Don't, don't t- like seize the moment. I'm gonna ask you to capture this time before we sing. So let's do that.